Hi, this is the podcast recording of Generations Home Church with Noah Johnson. Enjoy. Is one part here in Exodus. We've been in Exodus 3, and I want to read one part out of here. My goal was to go a lot quicker, but as we're going, there's things that I feel like that I want to kind of stop, and at that place, uh, kind of like the children of Israel, where they're traveling through the wilderness, but they would stop and camp in places for a while. And so I want to camp for the next couple of weeks on this verse, because I believe that Exodus is this book where the Lord is reintroducing himself to the world, really. And specifically, to the people of Israel, who he's about to rescue and redeem out of Egypt and make them their own nation. And so we really, there's certain parts where we want to stop and we want to see, this is the God who wants us to know him. And he's at this point making himself known to not only Israel, but to everyone who he is. And so there's something really curious that happens here that I think we need to stop and dissect a little bit. And it's in, uh, Chapter 3, we've already read through it a couple times, but we're going to uh, drill down into a couple different ideas here. And so it says, in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, this is Sorry if I didn't say it. It's Exodus chapter 3. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. In a flame of fire within a bush. And as Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why is the bush burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, the Lord called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Now I'm going to stop right there. What I want to look at over the next couple of weeks is who is this angel of the Lord? And that will probably be this week and maybe next week. Who has he revealed himself to be in the Bible? He's a really important character. There's some uh, uh, mystery around who he is. It's not totally uh, right out in the open. And then I also want to look at, uh, as it goes further down, the name of the Lord, where he talks and says, I am who I am. And the other part that I want to look at is this, this idea of him appearing in fire, because we will see that over and over as we go through the Bible. So today, what I want to go into is just a brief look at who is this angel, this angel of the Lord. Because as we look, there's something kind of mysterious that happens, and it happens in a lot of verses. But if we look carefully at this section here, it says, in verse 2, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So there's an angel inside this flaming bush. And then it says, as he approaches it, It says, Yahweh, the Lord, saw that he had gone over to look, and God called out from the bush. So there's there's a bush that's on fire. The angel of Yahweh is in the bush. And yet when he approaches, it doesn't say the angel calls out. It says, Yahweh calls out to him. So why does the language keep flipping back and forth? Why is it saying God, and then it's saying the angel of God? What does that mean to us? Why are the writers of the Bible who are inspired by the Holy Spirit flipping back and forth in that type of language? As we look a little bit further, it says, he says to him, uh, do not come any closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And it says, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
So again, there's this idea, something is in this bush that he's seeing, and evidently he can see it because as he goes toward the bush and something speaks to him from, from within the bush, he hides his face so that he won't look at what's in the bush. He doesn't say he's afraid to look at the fire. He's afraid to look at something in the bush, and he says it's God. So what does all that mean? It's, it's kind of mysterious. It, doesn't, it just keeps going. The story just keeps going from there. It doesn't stop and spell it out for us. And so that's why I want to stop and look at it. Let me flip through my notes here. Um, if people have their Bibles ready, I will have you guys flip to certain portions. Um, so I'll, I'll show my hand right now that what I am going to propose and what I think the Bible teaches all the way through, what all the early church fathers and great theologians of old from Cyril through uh, Ignatius and Augustine and all the way up, what all of those people believed is that the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ embodied prior to the incarnation. And so what I'm going to do is attempt to show you that. That might seem like, well, oh, that's kind of weird or kind of crazy. And yet all the ancient early church fathers believe that. And most theologians have believed that for centuries. And yet we don't really grasp onto that. And so that's what I want to look at. And today what I want to look at is the angel of the Lord interacting with the patriarchs. And next week, what I want to look at is the angel of the Lord directly interacting with Israel during the Exodus and what the Bible has to say about who he is and what he does. So let's start. Um, I want to start real quickly. Uh, if somebody would turn to Acts uh, 7.30, and then I'll have them read Acts 7.30 and 7.35. Um, if somebody somebody else would uh, turn to Hebrews 13.2, and I will turn to Genesis 18. Whoever's got the uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 30 and verse 35. I can... <laughs> Here we go. Never mind. <laughs> good, it's good. Elijah, you're a gifted order. 7.30 to 7.35? 7 Just 7.30 and 35. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight and he drew, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Did you read verse 35? No, I haven't read verse 35 yet. Oh, will you? To verse 35? No. <laughs> Can you read through the verse 35? <laughs> oh, through to verse 35. Nobody can hear you back there. To him, Take really off the sandals of your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. Okay, so... Uh, Verse 30 and 35 both mention the angel. And the only reason I want to stop there and say that is because some people might say, well, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, but it was just, it's in, Gen in Exodus, it's saying the fire is the Lord. The fire is the angel. But very clearly as Stephen is, uh, or Stephen, however you want to say it, is recounting the story as he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He says twice, it's an angel. An angel appeared to him in the bush. So yes, there was fire, but there was clearly a being there, and it was an angel. Um, okay, I want, uh, if somebody else would read uh, 
the Hebrews verse. Hebrews 13, too? Yeah. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Okay. The reason I want to mention this is as we jump in uh, back into Genesis, there is kind of a, uh, a misnomer or a just a flat-out mistruth that we believe, which is that angels have wings. The Bible talks about both seraphim and cherubim as having wings. There are visions of them and they have wings, usually multiple wings. However, most of the time when we are presented with an angel in the Old Testament, people do not know they're angels until later on. They think they are people. They think they are human beings, just like them. In the Hebrew, they're called ish. It's person. So in Hebrews, the reason I mentioned this verse is, is that evidently people have brought in strangers to their home, fed them, entertained them, ha ha, you know, showed them hospitality. And in so doing, they were thinking that that was a person. They did not think it was an angel. Now, if we, if we go back a little bit further to Abraham's life, we have an example of Abraham doing this very thing. And that's what I want to go into right now. But I just want to mention again, that angels don't, these angels do not have wings. They look like people. When people see them, they think they're people. They think they're human beings. And oftentimes, as people have sat down to eat with them, it's not until later that they recognize, oh my gosh, that was an angel. So uh, let's open to Genesis 18. We are in the life of Abraham. Abraham has already at this point been, uh, been given a bunch of promises by the Lord. He has seen the Lord on a number of occasions. The Lord has appeared to him to give him promises. The promises namely being that he would make him a great nation, that he would give him that land, and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So we are here in chapter 18. And I'm going to open this water because I'm... Yes, parched. That was the word. Thank you, Mom. Oh, Mogan. Thank you, Mogan. It says, uh, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. Now, stop right there. Just want to make it clear. We're going to do some... Uh, we're going to stop every once in a while just because I want to point something out. It is clear here that word is Yahweh. It's the Lord. The Lord appears to Abraham, it says, at the Oaks of Mamre. And while he was sitting at the entrance... So, in other words, the, the narrator in this story which is Moses, who's giving us a story, tells us right off the bat, the Lord appeared to Abraham. But we, don't, we can't tell yet that Abraham knows this as we read on. While he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day, he looked up and he saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them. And he bowed to the ground and he said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go past your servant. When he uses the word Lord there, he does not use the word Yahweh. He uses the way that we would say, sir. So when these three men appear, he stops them. And he says, don't, hey guys, don't go. Come on in. Let's eat. Let's, let's eat together. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed on your servant's way. Later, you can continue on. Yes, they replied. Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and he said to Sarah, quick, need some bread. And so it, it tells us that they get things ready. As we skip down to verse eight, it says this. Then Abraham took curds and milk 
as well as the calf that he had prepared, and he set them before the men, and he served them as they ate under the tree. So they're all sitting there, they're eating again. It mentions once more that he sees them as just men. Here's these three guys. Okay, I wanna skip down. I wanna skip to verse 22, and then we're gonna reread uh, the, the portions that we're skipping. But it says, in verse 22, it says, the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Yahweh, the Lord. And Abraham stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So. I want to point out that these men apparently went to Sodom, but we're going to go back and read now. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 16. The men got up from where they looked out over Sodom and Abraham was walking with them. So they finished e eating. They're all walking off the three men and Abraham. And then the Lord said, should I hide what I am about to do from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he has promised him. And then he said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. Now we're back at verse 22. It says, the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. So some of the men went towards Sodom, but Abraham's still standing there with someone because for the next several verses, he haggles back and forth with this person who is called the Lord, Yahweh. And he says, hey, if there's, what if there's 50 righteous people? And the Lord says, if there's 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. And he, he keeps going, what, 40? What about 30? What about 20? And he gets all the way down to 10 because his, his nephew Lot lives in Sodom. And he thinks, okay, there's got to be at least 10 people here. And the Lord says, okay, if there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. Let's go to... Nineteen, chapter 19, we're just going to skip down verse 1. It says, the two angels entered Sodom in the evening. So at this point now, we know that two of the three beings are angels because it says they went away. So one stayed with Abraham and he kept debating with this one. This one is called Yahweh over and over. Two of them entered the city. At this point, we realize that those two people who Abraham just thought were, were men are in fact angels. And it goes through... Uh, their story of once they get into Sodom, we're not going to go into that. Um, but what I, what I want to really drive home here is that one of these people is in fact Yahweh. One of these people is the angel of the Lord and he's Yahweh. Um, so let's look real quickly. If somebody would turn to John chapter 8, uh, 48 through 59. Yeah, if you would read that. John 8, Yeah. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. 
and I do not seek my own glory, there is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never face death or see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is deed and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Okay, so Jesus says right here that Abraham actually saw him. Now, if uh, Greg, if you would you be willing to read the next couple verses where he talks yes, about? Okay. Yes. Then the Jews said to him, "You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham?" And Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." Okay, and then it says from there that the Jews took up rocks to stone him. The reason being, Jesus has just used the covenant name of the God of Israel, I am which is the name that's actually presented by God in the bush that we're going to look at in a couple weeks. The point being here, Jesus said, you guys say you're, you're sons of Abraham and that you follow Abraham's way, but you don't. And then he says to them, you don't even worship the God you say you worship. Because when Abraham saw me, he rejoiced in that day. And they go, are you insane? You're not even 50 yet. Abraham's been dead for thousands of years. Who, who exactly do you think you are? And Jesus says, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I am God. I am Yahweh. I existed before Abraham was even born. So at some point in Abraham's life, he encountered Jesus, according to Jesus. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying because they called Jesus a crazy man for saying that. What? Abraham can't have seen you. You're not even 50. You'd have to be like 3,000. So they know exactly what he's saying. He knows exactly what he's saying. And then when they say, who do you think you are? He says, I'm God. Before Abraham was even born, I existed. And again, the Jews knew exactly what he was saying because they looked to kill him for saying it. He said something that was so offensive that it required death in their society because he made himself equal with God. Now there's two possible places where Jesus could have interacted with Abraham. It was either here, where Abraham makes food for these people and finds out that two, we find out later two of them are angels, but one of them stays there to haggle with him. Now, later on in chapter 19, we're going to go back to Genesis 19, we've talked about the two angels went into Sodom. There's a whole story about what goes on in Sodom, and they try and get Lot and his family to leave Sodom because they're going to destroy it. And then there's this really, really interesting verse in verse 23 of chapter 19. So let's read that. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Now Lot and his family, those who went with him, fled to a place called Zoar. And the angels say, hey, you, we can't do anything until you leave. So until you get there, we can't do anything. So now he's there. He's reached the land of Zoar. And it says uh, this. Then out of the sky... 
The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah burning sulfur from the Lord. I'm going to read that two more times. Will you give the, um... Then out of the sky, uh, it's, it's uh, Genesis 19, verse 23. Then, or I'm sorry, verse 24. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah burning sulfur from the Lord. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. The reason I read that several times is, and I'm going to actually open this book, and I want to cite a couple of ancient church fathers, but they all say this does not make any sense unless there are two lords in view here. One on earth who rained down fire from the Lord who is in heaven. My translation actually ends it with, the Lord rained down fire from Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. From the Lord out of heaven. All right, so I'm going to quote a couple of, again, um, a bunch of the stuff is out of this book. It's called The Angel of the Lord. It's really good if you guys have an opportunity to get it. Um, so I'm just going to read a couple of quotes. I'm going to read one from Irenaeus who was uh, alive from uh, 135 to 202 AD. So these are ancient church fathers. These aren't people who are, are further on. This is, this is way before Constantine. This is way before the Roman Empire got involved in anything going on with the church. And this is what Irenaeus says. Since therefore the Father is truly Lord and the Son truly Lord, the Holy Spirit has fitly designated them by the title of Yahweh. And again, referring to the destruction of the Sodomites, the scripture says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. For here it points out that the son, who had been talking with Abraham, had received power to judge the Sodomites for their wickedness. This is how the early church understood this. They understood this to be the angel of the Lord, or whoever this man was speaking to Abraham, was still on earth, and he commanded fire out of heaven and fire came from Yahweh in heaven upon the Sodomites. Tertullian, 160 to 225 AD. I find in scripture the name Lord or Yahweh also applies to them both. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. He quotes Psalm 110 there. And Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's from Isaiah 53. Now he would most certainly have said, thine arm, if he had not wished us to understand that the Father is Lord and the Son also is Lord. A much more ancient testimony we have also in Genesis. It says, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. Now there's four pages of ancient early church fathers that I could quote. The point that I'm trying to make here is this is not aberrant. It's not uh, weird or new thinking. The angel of the Lord is Yahweh, and he is the pre-incarnate embodied God, Jesus. That's what the scriptures teach. That's what all of the early church fathers believed. That's what all of the theologians of any time really have understood. But I want to prove it out further from uh, Scripture. I want to look next at Genesis 16. Uh, 
This is the story of Hagar, and she twice has interactions with the angel of the Lord. In fact, this is the first time that phrase is used in the Bible, in Genesis 16. So the verses that we were looking at in Genesis 18 and 19, they talk about this being that's there, who Abraham thinks is a man, and I'm, I'm asserting that I believe it's the angel of the Lord, but it doesn't actually use that verbiage. But here in, uh, here in Genesis 16, it does. Let's go to 16. Uh, Hagar has the story of Hagar is basically she was uh, Sarah's handmaid and she gives him, uh, her to Abraham to have a child with. Now she's pregnant and it says this she flees from Sarah because Sarah's mistreating her. Um, in verse 7 it says this so she's fled and it says this the angel of the Lord found her, speaking of Hagar, by a spring in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring. And they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and you will have a son and you will name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your cry of affliction and this man will be like a wild donkey. It goes down further in verse 13. It says, so she named the Lord. Now again, she has said to us three times that the one speaking to her is the angel of the Lord. But again, the writers of Genesis, Moses has here decided to now flip again to using the proper name of Yahweh. It doesn't say the angel of the Lord here. Now it uses just the Lord. So she named the Yahweh who spoke to her, you are El Royai, for she said, in this place I have actually seen the one who sees me. So she names that area El Royai. In other words, God sees. So again, I, I really just want to drive home the idea that whoever this is, he is much more than just an angel. He is much more than just a messenger or a servant of God. He is intricately connected with Yahweh. And over and over again in these passages, we will see the verbiage flip from the angel of Yahweh to Yahweh himself. Um, let's flip to Genesis 21. Now, uh, a second, so she goes back. She has her son Ishmael. He grows up in Abraham's household. But then when they have Isaac, there is a conflict between Isaac and Ishmael. And this time Sarah says again, send him away. And the Lord says to Abraham, it's okay. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to do great things for Ishmael. But it's okay to let him go this time. So Sarah drives him out again. And uh, Genesis 21, they go out into the wilderness. And verse... 14 through 16 say this early in the morning Abraham got up and he took bread and a water skin and he put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her and the boy away and she left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and when the water in the skin was gone she left the boy under one of the bushes and went and sat at a distance about a bow shot away for she said I cannot bear to watch the boy die and while she sat at a distance, she wept loudly. God heard the boy crying. 
And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy, and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. So here the angel of the Lord speaking to her, and the angel of the Lord is now saying that he's going to accomplish these things in Ishmael's life. In chapter 16, the angel said, the Lord, Yahweh, will make him a great nation. Now the angel's saying, I will make him a great nation. Where was I? Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. And so she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew and he settled in the wilderness and became an archer. And he settled in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Now, one really, I think that's a really cool and fascinating thing is both these times, the first two times we're really seeing the angel of the Lord or the angel of God announced to us is with this, this slave girl. And when do we see his next big introduction is when he reveals himself to Moses to go rescue a whole nation of slaves. All the way through, we're going to see the angel of the Lord is intimately involved in the redemption of his people and in the redemption of people who are lowly, who have no help, who have no hope. And yet over and over, it's going to be the angel of the Lord who rescues them. It's going to be Jesus rescuing people that are calling out to him. Um... I want to go to Genesis 22, and I want to look at the sacrifice of Isaac, because this is the other place or the other location in the Old Testament that could be the one that uh, Greg was reading about in John. This could be the other place where Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it. So we're going to go to Genesis 22. I'm going to read from verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, I answered. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So the person talking to Abraham is God. It's not the angel of the Lord. It's God here. Let's skip to 11, uh, verse 11 through 13. So as uh, Abraham obeyed God, he went up on the mountain. He's preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Right before he can sacrifice his son Isaac, it says this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. God tells him, go sacrifice your son. As he's going to, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, don't do it. Now I know that you are going to obey God and you won't withhold anything from me. Again, there's this, this flipping back and forth. The angel of the Lord is asserting himself here as God. He's saying, you haven't withheld anything from me. But just a second ago, he said, you obeyed the command of God. So this angel is in fact the Lord. Um, I think this, to me, this is probably the more likely place that Abraham saw Jesus and rejoiced to see his day. It's the day that his son is saved. It also is the day that 
um, his, his one and only son whom he loved, and we've looked at before in previous weeks, that this is the first time love is used in the Bible. The very first time love is used in the whole Bible is of Abraham's love for his son. During a command to go sacrifice his son on top of Mount Moriah, or I'm sorry, on top of a mountain in Moriah, which we've talked about earlier, it ends up being the same place that God's own son would be sacrificed on Mount Calvary. So here we are, we're at this place. He is about ready to have to do the most excruciating thing, which is to give up his son. As we learn later in Hebrews, we are told that Abraham believing God, that God's promises could not be null or void, that God could not lie. He believed that even if he had to sacrifice his son, God would raise him from the dead because he had to fulfill promises through Isaac. Again, just astonishing because that is in fact, Abraham's faith that God would raise Isaac from the dead is in fact what happened to God's own son after he crucified him on that very same hill. He did raise him from the dead. So, where am I? Okay, uh, verse 15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. So they're still on top of the mountain. The Lord's provided a ram now. And he said, by myself, I have sworn. Again, this is the angel. The angel saying, I've sworn by myself. This is the Lord's declaration. So I've sworn by myself, but this is Yahweh's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you obeyed my command. Now, all of the things that he just said that he was gonna bring about, the angel of the Lord says, I have sworn that I'm gonna fulfill these promises. These were all promises made earlier in Genesis to Abraham by not the angel of the Lord, but by Yahweh. Again, there's this constant blurring of these lines. Who is who? Who's Yahweh and who's this angel of the Lord? Because there's constantly things that are attributed to each of them that are the same thing. All right, uh, let's move forward now to Jacob's life. And we're going to read Genesis 28, 10 through 18. Now, uh, Jacob is a deceiver. His name means heel catcher. Uh, Yach was named after him. <laughs> okay, that was a cheap shot. He's not even here. He's here. He's hiding. He's, oh, he's down there. Okay. The okay. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a couple things that I want to go into here because uh, I think they're just. They're fascinating and they're beautiful. But Jacob is not a great guy. At this point in his life, where we are with Jacob, he is a, he's a man who just stole the birthright, the inheritance of his brother Esau. And now he's fleeing from his brother Esau because his brother Esau wants to murder him. The way he stole his inheritance was by lying and tricking his elderly father who was blind. So just not a great dude. He's not. Uh, 28, uh, Jacob's fleeing from Esau. He's headed to his uncle's land in Haran. And it says in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. 
And he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones from the place and he put it there at his head and he lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord, Yahweh, was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid, and he said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker, and he poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, because Bethel means house of God. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I am making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then Yahweh will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. So, there's a couple things that are absolutely crazy about this story. First, we've already talked about that Jacob isn't a great guy. But when he lays down in this dream, the Lord reveals to him that the places that he is laying down is actually the ladder or stairway to heaven. And he sees angels coming up and down. And then the Lord standing there. When he wakes up the next morning, he says, this is the house of God. And he says, this is the gate of heaven. Now, Good, Yach. <laughs> That's from Avengers. <laughs> Thor. Okay, so what is really interesting about this are a couple of the words that are used. If you will remember back to Genesis 11, the people of the world at this time all know the Lord. There is no Israel yet. They are told to spread out after the flood and fill the whole earth. They don't. They congregate in Shinar. They build a tower there called the Tower of Babel. It says to reach up to the heavens. Now we know that Babel, the Lord calls it Babel because he says there he confuses their language. However, the people that live there, that word in Ugaretic means the gateway of heaven. So what they were building was, and what most scholars believe what they were building was a ziggurat, which is this type of pyramid that reaches up to heaven. Now, there's three things that are really interesting about this. One, the ancient peoples believed 
that all the gods dwelt up on mountaintops. Thus Mount Olympus, thus all these, anytime you get into an ancient religion, the gods dwell on top of mountains. What's fascinating about this is this is found in all sorts of different religions across the world. But as we looked earlier, not today, but at a different time, Eden was on top of a mountain and that's where humanity was with God. That's where everything was good. That was the last time everything had been good. And yet what we see here in Babel is humans attempt to get back to the house of God, to get back to that gateway so they can get back in. That gateway that has been locked off to, from them. As we saw in Genesis 3, the Lord actually kicked them out of the garden and put a cherub there with a flaming sword so no one could get back in. And yet in Babel, what they're really trying to do is reach back to God. And through all their effort to get to God, all they did was anger God. Because he comes down and he says, let's confuse their language because nothing will be impossible for them now. That seems odd, but... The fascinating thing is that here, Jacob finds the gateway to heaven. That's what he says. He says, this is the actual tower. And again, most scholars believe that in his vision, what he saw was the exact same kind of structure, a ziggurat leading up to heaven, the angels descending and ascending. And what this shows us is that the Lord all along had a way for us to get back to the gateway into his presence. It was never closed in the first place. It was never unavailable to us, but it could never be found by the things that we do. We could never build a stairway to heaven. And yet here is a guy that is a lying thief and God reveals to him the way back to God's house. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't worthy of it. It's all by grace. This shows us the great grace of God. People in rebellion trying to build their way back up to heaven, and yet it's this guy who is a nobody who God reveals his gateway to heaven to. Now, he says, wow, this is amazing. I met the Lord here. This is the house of God. It's the gateway to heaven. And he goes on in his life. And as he says, Lord, if you'll, if you'll basically, if you'll watch over me and you do everything, you, you do everything I want you to do in as much as you bring me back to the land and you fulfill all these promises, then I'll make you my God. He's not, <laughs> he, he's not this great man of faith. He's just like, if I have food and clothing and, and, oh, and I come back here and I'm safe and all this good stuff, happen, then I'll, then I'll believe you and you'll be my God. And the Lord's like, okay, he doesn't say anything. It just moves on from there. And so from there, we jump uh, forward. I want to look at 31, chapter 31. He's gone. He's left Bethel. He's moved on. You know, this was just one night. He had this crazy dream. He gets up the next morning. He anoints the rock that he was laying on. He says, this is the gateway to God's kingdom. This is the house of God right here. And he, he goes on with his life. And as he goes on with his life, he ends up working for his uncle Laban. He marries four different women, as it turns out. Again, just Jacob. He's not great. Um, and Laban starts to kind of mistreat him. And so uh, chapter 31, verse 3 says this. 
The Lord said to him, go back to your family and to your, uh, I'm sorry, go back to your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. And Jacob had Rachel and Leah called to the field where his flocks were. And he said to them, I can see from your father's face that his attitude toward me is not the same as before, but the God of my father has been with me. So he's, he is starting to understand the Lord's blessed him in everything that he's done. You know that with all my strength, I have served your father and that he has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God has not let him harm me. If he said the spotted sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep bore, uh, bore spotted babies. If he said the streaked sheep will be your wages, then all the sheep bore streaked uh, sheep. And God has taken away from your father's herds and given them to me. So every time in this story, basically what happens He's working for Laban and Laban says, okay, this, these kinds of sheep will be yours. You're going to watch over all my sheep. You're going to breed them. You're going to be a shepherd and the, you know, the black ones will be yours. Oh, the speckled ones will be yours. Oh, the, the striped ones. And over and over he changes it. But every time he changes it, whatever he changes, it, whatever Laban change, changes it to, that's the kind of sheep the babies have. So if it's spotted, all of a sudden, all of them start having spotted and he keeps getting more and more of Laban's sheep as his wages. And then he tells them this interesting story. Verse 10. When the flocks were breeding, I saw in a dream that the streaked, spotted, and speckled males were mating with the females. He's speaking of the goats or sheep. In that dream, the angel of God, okay, so now we have the angel of God again, said to me, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, look up and see. All the males that are mating with the flocks are streaked, spotted, and speckled. For I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. Now, this is, what, this is the really fascinating part, verse 13. I am the God of Bethel, where you poured out oil on the stone marker and made a solemn vow to me. Get up and leave this land and return to your native land. So, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Jacob and he says, go back. And then he says, do you know who I am? I'm the God of Bethel. Where you poured out the oil on the rock, that was me who you're pouring it out to. That was me that you made that vow to. When we were reading earlier in, in chapter 28, though, it never mentions the angel of the Lord. What it mentions is a stairway to heaven. It mentions angels going down and going up. And then it says Yahweh was standing beside him. So the Yahweh that was standing beside him at Bethel, the one that he made the vow to, was in fact the angel of the Lord. I want to, if somebody would flip to John 151, chapter 1, verse 51 and read that. So I want you guys to see that even in the New Testament, Jesus starts to connect himself to a lot of these stories. Whoever gets there first, just go ahead and start reading. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Okay, so now Jesus actually takes that story and applies it to himself. And he says, he's speaking to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel comes up and he says, oh, a uh, Galilean or something of that nature. For, like, here's somebody who doesn't have any guile in him. And, he, and Nathan's like, how do you know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree. And he says, 
Oh my God, my Lord and my God. He bows down to him. He says, oh, you're going you're gonna to pronounce me God just because you've seen that? You're going to see greater things than that. You are going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus directly connects himself to this stairway that Jacob saw. He directly connects himself to this way to heaven. He says, the same way that Jacob saw the angels descending and ascending this stairway to Bethel, to the house of God, that's me. You're going to see them ascending and descending on me. And so what we're seeing is just this constant movement all through the Bible where God is pointing us back to the Old Testament, where the Lord is pointing back and showing us, I am that God that has always been there. I was with Jacob. I was with Abraham. I called Moses to rescue my people. And now I am here in Israel to rescue my people. I am the gateway. I am the stairway. Um, I want to read one more verse. It's from Genesis 48. This is the end of Jacob's life. And we might think, well, these things are kind of interesting, but they don't necessarily, uh, you know, prove that that's who the angel is. But even Jacob saw this strange connection. Jacob is about to die and he calls his favorite son, Joseph in. And he says, I'm going to bless your sons. So I'm going to bless my grandsons. And he brings them in. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 48 says, then Joseph took them both with, with his right hand, Ephraim toward Israel's left and with his left hand, Manasseh toward Israel's right. And he brought them to Israel. Israel is Jacob. In case you didn't know that his name gets changed. Yach does not have his name changed, but Israel, <laughs> but is <laughs> just teasing, but Israel stretched out his right hand and put it on the head of Ephraim, the younger and crossing his hands, put his left hand on Manasseh's head. Although Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, he's going to say three lines here. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all harm. May he bless these boys. Jacob knows the God that he's worshiping. The God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. The God who has been his shepherd all his life. The angel who has redeemed him. This is the redeemer. The redeemer is this angel. Jacob recognizes it. And this redeemer is the one that comes through the Virgin Mary and takes on flesh as a human being. He is the one who has made the way for us to enter heaven's gates. Not through our own effort. God despised that. He saw that and he said, no, this is, this is not the way to me. I have made the way and I'll show it that it's by grace because the first person I'm going to reveal it to is this lying, cheating thief. God is awesome. And he has been the same God that Abraham served, that Hagar was rescued by, that Jacob served all the days of his life, that angel, the one that redeemed him, is our redeemer. 
He is Jesus Christ, the living. And he is coming again. And what I want to drive home to you guys is that some of the things in the Bible that are maybe confusing and maybe today wasn't like the most inspiring teaching, but I just want to show you guys that all these things are so interwound. There's not, they're not broken up. They're not broken apart. They're not different pieces. The same one that uh, redeemed Jacob is the one that will redeem us. The same angel that is now going to come. And as we go through the book of Exodus, he's intimately involved in what's happening is the same angel that has come in human flesh to save us. It's the angel of the Lord. It's Yahweh incarnate. Jo um, later on, uh, Joshua will see him. When Joshua is about to enter the land, he sees this man standing there with a sword drawn. And he says, are you, who are you? Who are you? Are you for us or against us? He says, neither. I am the angel of the Lord's armies. The same one. The same angel that has his sword drawn when David sins in numbering the people. And he's up on that hill of Oron's threshing floor that will one day become the temple. The same angel. And so what we're going to see is all the way through, this being is interacting with his people to bring forth his promises. And his promises are always for the eventual promise of one person. When he said to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, he wasn't talking about Abraham. He wasn't talking about Isaac or Jacob. He was talking about the one that would come from them, Jesus Christ. When he says to David the same thing, someone will sit on your throne, he's talking about Jesus Christ. When he says to Jacob, I'm going to fulfill these things in your life, and Jacob says, this is the angel that redeemed me, he's pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Over and over again, the Lord is saying to us, I have made a way for you to know me. I have made a way for you to enter through my gates and to be back on the mountain of the Lord. In Psalm 24, it says this. At least I hope it's Psalm 24. <laughs> in verse 3, it says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your, gate, your heads, you gates. Raise up ancient doors then the king of glory will come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Rise up, ancient doors. Then the king of glory will come in. Who is he? This king of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. We can ascend the mountain of the Lord because we are clean, not because we are righteous, but because the Lord has forgiven us our sins through Jesus Christ. That's it. We will be allowed to ascend that mountain. We will be allowed to enter his gates. We will be allowed to go to, the next verse it says there, is to go to his holy place. That's what mankind has been hoping for forever. The Bible calls Jesus the desire of nations. 
Every progressive plan, every conservative plan, every president, every king, every prime minister that has ever ruled, every policy that has ever been brought forth by any nation has always been ultimately humans seeking something better. The desire of every nation's and every heart. The Lord Almighty, the Redeemer of Jacob, the Angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the King of Glory. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word. We thank you that your joy is our strength. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that your son Jesus has been behind the scenes before his incarnation, orchestrating this plan, readying this plan, calling your people, and sometimes step-by-step instructing them so that your will might be brought forth. That your son might be born of a virgin, that he might live for us and die for our sins, that he might be raised from the dead for our justification. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would break our hearts like you did the children of Israel as they heard the word being spoken to them by Ezra, the priest. And we ask that as our hearts are broken, that you would mend them just as quickly as you did their hearts, Lord, and that you would fill us with joy and that that joy would make us strong. We love you. We thank you. We rejoice in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I was thinking when you were talking about that, the, uh, as soon as you 